Hi everyone, my name is Louis Colorotolo, and I'm a graduate student at the University of Guelph in the Food Science Department, trying my best to get a PhD in food science. I have always been known to use the phrase, fun fact, when at parties, events, and throughout my normal day. And these facts have to come from somewhere. Often I will say, I read that, or the other day I read an article, uh, but I, I can only lie so much, I'm not a big fan of reading. I would much rather listen to someone talk about what they're passionate about and learn from that. But listening to science podcasts or TV shows isn't always the best. Big vocabulary words, acronyms, and scientific jargon often gets in the way of me truly comprehending what I'm listening to. I'd rather be a part of a real-life conversation than be an audience member to a scripted show. That's why I sit down with current and recent graduate students from many different scientific fields to talk about their passions in science. Today, you'll hear a conversation between myself and Laura Hancock, a friend I met during my master's program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Laura and I attended a conference in Washington, D.C. to learn how to communicate science to politicians. One night that week, we ended up walking two miles past a restaurant we had reservations to because someone, and I won't mention any names, entered the wrong address into her phone. Nonetheless, we ended up making it to our destination very late, and we still liked each other enough to sit down and have a conversation about her passion about bats. And today we're going to touch on topics like bats flying, vampire bats, and how we can lend a hand to help out bats today. We are simply passionate scientists early in our careers, and we don't know everything. So that's why you're listening to We Know Some Stuff, the scientists of tomorrow talking today. Hi, Laura. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing, Louis? I am quite Good. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational history? So for just a quick rundown of my educational background, um, I got a bachelor's degree in general biology from Christopher Newport University. It's a small liberal arts school in Virginia. Um, I My degree was, like I said, just general biology, but I mostly focus on organismal biology and ecology. Um, and then I did a little bit of non-traditional educational experiences by doing some field technician jobs and lab technician jobs a few short um, office-based internships dealing with like uh, modeling and using remote sensing data, um, which I am not well-versed in at all, um, but it was a really neat experience. Um, and then I started at UMass Amherst within the Organismic and Evolutionary Biology program several years ago. Um, and I was doing, I'm doing both a master's and a PhD. My master's is focusing on invasive plant population dynamics, sort of with a lens of how we can understand the mechanisms by which invasive plants invade new areas, thus hoping, um, helping us to better prevent that invasion. Um, and then my PhD kind of switched focus and is working, um, it's looking at uh, also kind of population dynamics, but more through the lens of conservation of bats, um, especially populations that are widespread throughout a landscape and possibly um, very intricately tied to the resources around. But because they're so widespread, it's hard to study them and know what those resources are and where they are. Honestly, I am so excited to have this conversation today because we're going to talk about bats, which you don't hear people talk about bats a lot. So, really so give, us, give us a rundown. What do you know about bats? So that is a great question. I love talking about bats. 
Um, so really one of the reasons I started studying them at all is because I just, um, when, when you do see these articles about bats, sort of like in like popular news, oftentimes um, I think they don't fully encapsulate how amazing they are. Um, so there's about 1,400 species of bats, which is about 20% of all mammals. 20% of all mammals are, uh, well, the diversity of all mammals are bats. So that doesn't mean that 20% of all mammals living are bats. It just yes, means yeah. that of like the total amount of species of mammals, 20% of them are bats. Yes, they're incredibly diverse. Um, they they can be anywhere the size from like your thumb to a wingspan of about six feet. Um, so they can be quite diverse in terms of their morphology. In terms of sort of the ecology of the species, they're also very diverse. Um, they eat anything from... Um, blood which i think we might talk about later oh we will so that's actually a very very limited number of bats but anything from blood to um fruit nectar um to fruit and nectar to even pollen um other other animals like fish other small mammals um they're incredibly diverse um obviously insects most of the species that are found in north america eat insects um, which I think is something that hopefully most people are familiar with because I feel like that message has been pretty good about getting out. Um, but bats are really important ecologically, um, not in terms of just for like healthy ecosystem functioning, but because those healthy ecosystems then benefit us as humans. So they provide a lot of, um, there's a term called ecosystem services, which basically, um, without giving you like the actual definition, but basically that means um, healthy ecosystems and healthy populations give services to to humans in terms of economic benefit or some sort of other benefit um, that sort of helps us be healthy, healthy humans. And so one of the ways that bats do this is that in North America, a lot of species can eat up to hundreds of say mosquitoes in a night. Um, and so it actually ends up saving the US, I think it's on the order of like $3 billion a year in terms of pest management. Um, so they help reduce pests which is both an economic benefit and just a benefit to, I think, our general behavior and life um, because we don't have to deal with as many pests around us. Um, in other, this isn't as common in North America, but in other areas of the world, um, bats are really important for, um, for dispersing seeds of plants. So they help to shape the entire like ecosystem because they're helping shape the, like, the base plants that are in an area. Um, they also pollinate plants, so they help to make sure that these plants are able to healthily reproduce um, and sustain their populations. And and honestly, they're just really cool. Um, so bats are the only um, mammal, the only true flying mammal. So there are other mammals like gliding squirrels or like flying squirrels, um, but they glide. They're not actually like actively powered to to especially for long distance flight, whereas bats are. Um, they are nocturnal. Um, most of them are fairly small, so they're pretty hard to study, but they have a lot of really unique characteristics um, compared to other mammals. Um, and like I said, they're so diverse. They're 20% of all mammals, but I think most people kind of think of bats as this like um, sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, but, but sort of like a, a group of animals that are all kind of similar. Like they're not as diverse they don't think of them as being diverse. It's just, oh, a bat is a bat is a bat. But that's really not true at all. They're, they're so incredibly um, unique. Each species is incredibly unique. Honestly, your passion about bats is awesome. I think <laughs> that is just, you're blowing my mind on so much of that. So then I, I guess I have a couple follow-up questions. Could I have a pet bat that eats the mosquitoes so that I can stay outside at night and not get bitten? 
I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But theoretically, yeah, I guess if you had a bat around your house, um, there's actually benefits. There's a lot of um, so a lot of people you can actually find these kits online um, to build bat houses. Um, and so if you have a bat house by your house, it doesn't just benefit the bat and giving them a place to roost at night, um, but it can also help possibly reduce the pest population right around your house, um, depending on what species the bat house is built for um, and like what part of the country you're in and all of that. Um, but no, I would not recommend having a bat as a, as a pet, mostly because one, they're wild animals. Um, two, <laughs> they do carry, which we may talk about later too, they do carry diseases. I think um, kind of going off of the misinformation that I talked about earlier that I think um, is pretty prevalent around bats just as a general group of animals. Um, bats do carry diseases. That's absolutely true. You shouldn't handle bats if you're not qualified and don't have the proper um, like protective gear um, because if they bite you, you could get rabies. There are other diseases that are associated with bats. But um, humans, if you look just at the, the statistics, um, humans are way more likely to get bats from, say, rabid dogs or cats um, like, like, um, sort of domesticated wild animals, domesticated wild is in domesticated and stray animals. I think it's between about half a percent and 1% of bats do carry rabies, but the chances of you actually encountering those bats are pretty low. Um, that being said, if you do see like a bat that looks sick or disoriented, especially if it's out in the daytime, that is a sign that it could be rabid. So the, the bats that you're more likely to come in, in contact with could be sick, but it's still such a slim chance. And they're, they're so... They're not the main spreaders of rabies to people, which I think is kind of a misconception. Wow, that is that's really interesting. I had no idea that the the chances were that low. And then of course the bat then has to actually bite you to get yeah. that. So that that's that's a lot of factors that are protecting you against bat rabies, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So one thing, and I had not personally experienced this, but there is a story that in my department in the food science building at the University of Guelph, we had a bat living in the attic. Nice. Uh, how it got in the attic, we don't know. Uh, is it still in the attic? We don't know. <laughs> uh, um, but so, so, so the bats can come into our living spaces. But naturally, they don't they don't want to be in our homes, not like a bug might be, right? So that's a great question. That's not something I directly study, so I may not be able to give um, a super hardcore data-informed answer to that, but I can anecdotally talk about a lot of things that I know. Um, so yes, that's a great question about bats occupying um, uh, like human-made structures. And so there's this one place that you might have heard of um, in Austin, Texas, um, called, I think it's the Congress Avenue Bridge. And it's a bridge that, especially in the summer, the cracks in the bridge are occupied by um, bats. And so the species that I'm most aware of that occupies that that site and just the like cracks in the concrete and, and just the spaces within the actual structure of the bridge um, is Mexican free-tail bats, Tuderida brasiliensis. And so they generally roost in fairly large numbers. Um, they're a migratory species. So they are actually found... Um, pretty much across North America. Their, their range is expanding as far as I've read. But um, but yeah, so that's one example of, I think, a fairly famous place, a human-made structure that is occupied by bats. Um, it's something that I've always wanted to see. I haven't seen it myself. Um, but people will gather around the bridge at dusk around when bats um, you know, wake up and they have their outflight, um, like when they're leaving their roost to forage at night. And we'll just watch the like just massive amounts of bats coming out of this bridge and flying off into the sunset. It's, it's pretty cool. I've seen pictures and I'd love to see it in person one day. Oh, kind of related, I guess, to that, a, a secondary bat fact um, is that um, some uh, going off of the, the large colonies of bats, 
some bats will roost, um, like if they're roosting in trees or caves or wherever they are, they can roost solid, um, in solid, like solitarily. Is that the right word? Alone. Um, but some bats will roost in colonies of tens of thousands of bats, up to Whoa. even mil- millions. Yeah. So it's really cool. There can even be really large. Um, so there's um, a, a cave called Bracken Cave near Austin, Texas, um, that has. I think it's the largest aggregation of mammals, I believe, in the world. And so it's up to millions of bats at the highest peak of colonization of that cave. That is so fascinating. If anyone finds themselves in Texas, I suggest there's the bridge in Texas with bats. There's this cave (laughs) in Texas. Texas is the bat capital of America. I I do not count me on that. Yeah. <laughs> I take it back. The, I take everything the, back. The unofficial bat capital of America. <laughs> yeah, there we, <laughs> there we go. I like that a lot. So touching back earlier on that outflight concept, I think of all of the uh, times I've seen bats in media. I'm thinking like, you know, that Scooby-Doo intro uh, in the start, <laughs> and they just like come flushing out of that mansion or any like Indiana Jones movie or any, you know, cave exploring. You got this like wild rush of bats just coming out of a cave so uh, we would we know about that why do they all rush out so quickly so oh that's such such a cool question so that's a question um that i'm interested in trying to maybe in the future answer um with various studies observational studies or manipulative studies um so we don't know even though bats make up 20% of mammalian species, we don't actually know a ton about them. They're, they're fairly hard to study because they're, they're able to fly really long distances. They're nocturnal. Um, it, they're hard to get really good data on. And so they, I feel like they are a group of, of wildlife that we just, we don't know as much about as other wildlife. Um, I think part of it also has to do with um, motivations. They're not quite as like maybe lovable and cuddly as some other species. So I think unfortunately less funding sometimes goes into studying them. Um, but one, I've, one of the things that I love doing when I'm, when I'm able to do my field work, um, I will sometimes have to record videos um, using thermal cameras or IR cameras. I'll have to use those cameras to look at bat outflight. So trying to basically um, quantify their behavior when they're flying out of their roosts. And so the species that I specifically work with, they roost in caves and abandoned mines out in Nevada. And so we'll set up these cameras at the openings of largely caves. If you're watching the videos or if you're watching them live through the cameras um, to see them sort of waking up. And it's really cool to watch them because they'll often um, sort of like stretch their sort of how we stretch our legs or stretch before we go running. They'll often be flying around in small circles inside caves um, or right outside the opening of a cave. And it, it's, it very much seems like and there is some I know scientific literature to back this up that they're sort of like um working up their muscles, they're trying to stretch out their muscles, they're trying to get warmed up for sort of their like more long-term foraging and flight during the night. Okay, um, so so the way that they're like stretching and warming up, is this like, like as you said before a run, are they like drinking that, you know, raspberry flavored like pre-workout, <laughs> getting amped, ready, get on their Lululemons, get their, you know, uh, water bottles ready to go for a run? Um, I would not say that they're drinking... Um, any sort of raspberry flavored uh, energy drinks or electrolyte drinks. But um, but yeah, there's actually, I was just reading, um, sort of going off of what we were just talking about, I was just reading um, a news article about some literature that came out related to um, young and how like pups, so, so young bats are called pups, um, and how pups will sort of get ready to fly. So when they're born, they're not born just able to fly immediately, at least with the species that I'm most familiar with. 
but they're not just born able to immediately fly. Oftentimes they're born without fur. They're, they're very vulnerable, just like most young would be. Um, and so I was just reading something about how um, some videos and some and some studies about how pups sort of like exercise in some ways, like they'll do push-ups essentially to try to build up those flight muscles, which is really cool and really interesting to think about. Oh, that is so interesting. So so going back to that, that outflight, as you were calling it, um, there seems like it's such a, a massive blob of chaos. But uh, we've all at some point have heard that uh, bats use like echolocation <laughs> to find out, you know, where things are. Can, can you like even begin to scratch the surface of explaining that to us? I can try to explain it a little bit. So I don't directly study echolocation either, um, but it is, it's really cool. Um, it's a really cool concept to think about. So not all bats use echolocation and actually not all bats are completely nocturnal. Um, some bats actually do, they're, they're really active in the daytime. Um, but so for the species that I work with out in sort of the Western US, um, they use echolocation. Um, North American bats use echolocation to find prey um, and to kind of quote unquote see at night. And so echolocation is using sound to identify objects, um, sort of is the simplified version of it. And so they will emit these really high frequency clicks. You can actually hear some of some of these noises if you're just like outside at night, especially around like um, lights. If you're in like a city, you can sometimes see bats flying around, like trying to get at insects and their prey. And so if you listen, sometimes you can hear these sort of like high frequency, like clicking noises. Um, and that's actually their um, echolocation because they're trying to better understand, you know, where their prey is around them. Prey meaning like insects. Um, and there's a lot of cool literature out there about how they even have these sort of um, collaborative, for lack of a better word, relationships with even certain plants. Um, so some bats will get insects around specific plants because the insects are going to the plants for like pollination, for nectar and um, pollen and for whatever other resources that these insects are using. And so they've actually co-evolved these bats and, and certain plants um, to have like the morphology of the plant help benefit the echolocation of the bats. So like you're saying like the shape of the plant itself? Yeah, yeah. So largely like the leaves, um, like the shape of the leaves, um, which it can be, It's yeah, it's a really cool concept. It's not something that I directly study, so I don't know details sort of the like um, the physics behind a lot of it, but it's really cool just to think about how over, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years, these things have been shaped the world around us by these interactions that I think we don't always much less to exist, but like, I think fully even appreciate how, how cool they are. You know, and honestly, this is, it's such a fine tuned system and it blows my mind because I walk through my living room, the living room that I've, I've had for a year now, and I will still bump into the same end table <laughs> two times a day. And you got these bats who are, which I, I'm assuming they're not actually blind. Like, you know, the, the media tells us. No, yeah, they are not blind. Right? And they can, like, you know, find a plant based off of how a sound wave bounces off of a leaf. Yeah. And I stub my toe two times a day. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty amazing creatures. So then another thing, which I am dying, dying to know more about bats, is the myth, the legend, the vampire bat. What can you tell us? 
Great question. So I also love vampire bats. There are bats, like I said earlier, that drink blood. Um, it is not in the same way um, or as, I think, prevalent as people think. Um, so there's only, like I said, there's about 1,400 species of bats. Only three of them, as far as I know, have been documented to ever drink blood or to use blood as a food source. Um, they're mostly found in Central and South America. Um, and of those species, two of them focus on like birds and one of them will drink the blood of mammals. So only one species out of about 1400 actually drinks the blood of mammals, at least commonly. There are There is some literature to suggest that some bats who usually focus on bird blood will actually drink blood of mammals, but that's sort of a not as common practice as far as I've been able to read. But they don't, bats definitely don't like attach themselves to you and then like put their teeth into your neck and then suck your blood out. Like I think people think of Dracula or vampires. Um, what happens is bats will often um, land on sleeping livestock um, or birds and nests. And they will, they have really, really razor sharp teeth and can make these really small nicks in the skin of animals. Um, and to, and their, their teeth are so sharp that you can't even feel it. So the, the animals wouldn't wake up. It's not that it causes the animals pain. Um, but then they will lap up the blood as the <laughs> blood um, bleeds out of the animals that they're they're, they're drinking the blood of. Um, and they, I believe, at least one of the species I know, um, the saliva of the bat actually has some anticoagulants. Um, so it, it they have, as they're lapping the blood up, some of the, the chemicals in their saliva prevents the blood from clotting so that the blood keeps kind of free-flowing until they're, they're done drinking. I wish you could everyone watching and listening could see my face right now <laughs> it is a mixture of like the biggest grin ever but also like i'm holding my neck like i'm worried that in my apartment right now a bat is gonna come and bite me that definitely won't happen um <laughs> but yeah i can it, you can find videos um of what it looks like when the, the, the so the vampire bats that i've seen they're actually really cute i really love their faces um they kind of look like a, a combination of like what you think of sort of as like a traditional bat and like a pug dog, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> um, they're really cute. Um, but you can actually find videos of these vampire bats flying and foraging and even landing on like livestock like pigs um, and sort of making those small nicks and, and lapping up the blood. And it's, it is definitely not as, um, I think, malicious or um, creepy as a lot of people would think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um not not endorsing it by any means, but they it's a it is a you know healthy part of the ecosystem. <laughs> That's a really good point. So speaking of big and big bats specifically, you said something about a six foot wingspan bat. Yep. Um, yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm terrified, but tell me more. So they, I can't think of a species name. So there are, like I said, there's sort of a spectrum of size, um, but I think the largest. Um, bat that has ever been recorded has a wingspan of about six feet um, and it is a fruit bat found I believe in southeastern Asia um, so this is not I I think if I'm remembering right at least for a closely related species um, the species name actually includes vam vampiris or vam vampire something along those lines because it, it was a big myth that it was this vampire bat it looks big and scary mm -hmm. when actually it just eats fruit um, it's, you know, trying to avoid people, go about its day and just find the sweetest fruit it can to eat. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so unassuming of the bats. It's actually really, really cute. I see where you're, you know, getting this, that, the, you know, bats are adorable kind of idea. They're like cuddly little puppies with wings that may or may not eat the blood of uh, mammals. Yeah, it's a great combination. It, yeah, it really must be. So now question 
uh, what what are we as humans doing that's like threatening the bat population? Oh, so many things. Um, so this is sort of um, not something I directly study, but much more closely related to my specific dissertation research with bats. So there are so many things that humans are doing either accidentally or on purpose that are impacting bats or around the world, um, sort of anywhere from direct hunting of bats to habitat disturbance to habitat loss. So such as like cutting down forests. So a lot of bats will roost in trees. They don't necessarily roost underground, like the species that I had mentioned earlier that I study. Um, some bats will like roost in on, on the underside of leaves and forests. And so cutting down forests will completely decimate the roosting habitat that these species have. Um, there's also diseases. So humans can, um, can uh, perpetuate disease spread. So you might've heard of white nose syndrome in the US. Um, so it's um, white nose syndrome is caused by a fungus um, that impacts, um, it, it's largely found in these sort of cool and dark um, underground roosting habitats like caves um, and species that hibernate. So not all bats hibernate, which is also I think kind of a, a misconception. Um, some bat species migrate just like, like birds do. Um, some bats, depending on where they're found in the world, are able to live in the same place year round. They don't need to hibernate or migrate to get away from, say, um, harsh winter conditions. Um, but a lot of bats in the U.S. do hibernate, and they hibernate underground in these sort of cold and dark caves. Um, and in these cold and dark caves, it's great. It's a great sort of microclimate for the fungal spores that cause white nose syndrome to grow. And the, the fungus can grow on and within bat tissue. So say their wings, their skin, their face. So white nose syndrome, it gets the name because the fungus looks kind of white and fuzzy and it can grow on the noses of bats. And so one thing that's been really um, just devastating to North American bat species is that um, since white nose was discovered um, about 15 years ago, um, it's been just decimating bat populations across North America. And by decimating, I mean killing millions of bats, um, which is truly just, um, truly thinking about the scale, it, it's, it's, really, it's really sad. So this is a really good segue, and, and I have to put a quick disclaimer that every time I have either an evolutionary biologist or a conservation biologist or someone who does ecosystem, basically the first... 20 minutes of our talk is really depressing about how we're doing a whole bunch of terrible things to kill <laughs> all these populations. But you know what? To end things nicely, could you help us, <laughs> you know, identify some ways that, you know, you and I could help the bat population? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So basically exactly what you're doing right now with the, with this, um, with this interview. So educating ourselves about what issues are out there, what the misconceptions are, um, and, and just understanding that bats, even though they may, many of them may look scary, um, you know, they're not out to get us. They are not trying to drink our blood. They're not going to spread rabies like we think they are. Um, but that the habitat and, and the resources that they so much depend on, which ultimately helps us, um, are sort of under threat because of things that we're, you know, often accidentally doing. So just educating ourselves, like, um, trying to find, robust information about natural history of bats um, and things we can do. So even just like, um, I think we talked about earlier, like bat houses, there, there's a lot of websites you can look up that, like, I think I said this, that sell like bat houses, like kits, um, and they'll have instructions about like the best place even around your house. So if it's north facing or west facing, um, there's, there's even specific information about that, what's best for bats. Um, but just sort of putting in that five minutes of research and thinking about like, oh, would it be helpful for species in my area to put up a bat house? Um, you know, if I hear sort of 
these misconceptions about bats just to, you know, correct people. Um, and just generally to maybe just be a little bit more aware of the world around us and, and how we're sharing it with all of this, these other species and with wildlife. And we really, we depend on each other. Like we coexist successfully when we're all healthy and happy. So that's a, that's a really interesting thing. One, I, I have to say I'm in love with the fact that education was at the top of your list. All of all of that, because that is really so, so important because you know what? I'm not going to lie. Before we had this conversation and I am a scientist myself, I thought that a bat was going to bite me and give me rabies. <laughs> so that's a big deal is just like listening to a conversation like this. And I did a little bit of Googling. Would you say that the batconservationinternational.org is uh, something that you would want to look at. It looks like they have instructions for bat houses and how you can even build them yourself. Yeah, they. so that website has a lot of really great and easy to understand, I think, resources for people who aren't um, scientists, who aren't doing active research, especially with bats. So I think they have a lot of links and resources um, that people can use and a lot of information about like bat houses and things like that. There's quite a few organizations out there, but I think they're one of the more... Um, comprehensive websites and organizations. Yeah, so, you know, getting everyone involved uh, in order to, you know, really help out these creatures that you have made abundantly clear are super important to our total ecosystems, right? Yeah. That, I honestly, that's awesome. And, and it gives a good prospect that we can change the things that we're doing in the future in order to make uh, the environment for bats better. Okay, well, I think that we have reached our time limit as much as I want to talk more about bats. I feel that we could go on for days with the passion that you exude about bats, but we have to uh, call it quits for the day. Uh, that's unfortunate because, yes, I would love to talk more with you and about bats. <laughs> Clearly so. All right, well, thank you so, so much for having this conversation with us. And um, I think I'm going to look into installing a bat house outside of my house right now. That's awesome. And thank you for having me. This was so much fun.